0: You're listening to Ask the Expert on Sprott Money News. Welcome back to Sprott Money News at SprottMoney.com. It is time for your monthly Ask the Expert segment, and that month is July of 2022. I'm your host, Craig Hemke, and joining us this month is Lynn Alden. You Remember, we had Lynn in, I don't know, six, seven months ago, and everybody was so enamored with the information she shared. They said, you've got to get her back as soon as possible. So She's joining us again today. Lynn, of course, the founder of the Lynn Alden Investment Strategy. And you can find her on the internet. You can also find her on Twitter. And look, I, you know, I know Twitter is a lot of trolls and bots and the like, but there's a lot of smart people on there that freely share information. And Lynn is one of them. So I would strongly encourage you if you are on Twitter at all to make sure you look up Lynn Alden, A-L-D-E-N, and give her a follow. Lynn, thank you so much for spending some time with me.
1: Thanks for having me again. Happy to be here.
0: It's great to have you back. And, and look, again, before we get started, just a reminder, this stuff doesn't just appear for free on the internet, okay? Someone's got to pay for this stuff to get this up there. And that is, means your sponsor here is Sprout Money. So if you want to repay them for all that they do, at least give them a like or a subscribe, uh, something like that on the on the, on the the channel to which, on which you're listening uh, to this content. That helps them to widen the net get that information out there uh, to a wider audience. But also, if you're listening to this, you probably have an interest in the precious metals. Sprott Money should be your dealer of choice anytime you are in the market for precious metal, physical precious metal, or just simply a place to store that metal. You go to SprottMoney.com, check out all the deals, or of course you can pick up the phone and give them a call and talk to a human being, 888-861-0775. Lynn, you may recall from the last time we spoke, we've been uh, soliciting questions from Sprout Money customers and people on the internet for the last couple of weeks once they knew you were going to be a guest. You're very popular. I've got six questions for you. Can we get started? Happy to. Let's just dive right in. Uh, This is timely. We're recording this here uh, during the second week of July. And uh, earlier this week, the euro, which has just been sharply declining, has fallen all the way back to parity with the dollar for the first time since 2002. So the question then is what happens
1: next? Well, a couple, yeah, that's a, a kind of a crazy event, isn't it? Basically, Europe has severe energy problems. Now, really, the whole world has pretty severe energy problems at the moment, but Europe's is particularly severe um, because their natural gas prices have spiked dramatically. And for people that don't remember the order of events, they, they spiked in back in late 2021, which is before uh, the war, right? Yep. And, and the war yep. obviously added additional layers of uncertainty onto that whole situation. So Europe has a more acute energy crisis than the rest of the developed world. Uh, and so, you know, if you look at the dollar compared to, say, the Canadian dollar, uh, it's up a little bit recently, but it's below where it was in, say, 2020. Same thing for the dollar compared to the Red Men B. Uh, and a number of other, you know, kind of uh, major or semi-major currencies, uh, but it is up significantly versus the euro and the yen. And that's mainly because the euro and the yen are specifically weak, you know, compared to a broad range of currencies, whereas the dollar is kind of in the middle against a lot of other currencies, but really strong against those two. So basically Europe, Europe finds itself at a crossroads here. They, they've mismanaged their energy policy, um, and then they have just kind of a, a challenging framework for the euro because it's a monetary union without a fiscal union. And so they have a lot of tough choices ahead of them. Uh, and so I, I, you know, uh, I'm know, i not shocked that basically the euro has been particularly weak compared to other major currencies.
0: You expect, I mean, I, I, we'll get to the Fed in a minute. What could drive uh, a bounce back? In the euro at this point. I mean, some. I mean, it's obviously not going to. Well, maybe it is not so obvious that it's not going to zero. But at some point, it will bounce. What would drive a bounce?
1: Uh, you could get a bounce if the Fed has to stop raising rates. Right. So right now, we have a rising differential between U.S. rates and European rates. Um, and if that were to stop increasing, you know, macro happens uh, on the margins. It happens in rate of change terms. Um, and so, if if the Fed finds itself unable to keep tightening. Uh, that's that's when the euro could start to find some semblance of a bottom, I think.
0: Okay. Well, then that's a good lead in, <clears throat> excuse me, to the next question, because this has to do with the Fed. I'm, I'm sure you remember, I remember that about the time that the metals and everything else started to really go down in April was shortly after some comments by Bill Dudley, who used to run the New York Fed. And he said that it was the current Fed's, I guess, uh, job or what they intend to do was to crush demand by uh, making stock and bond investors uh, get inflicted with losses, I think was the term that he was using, like they were going to drive a reverse wealth effect. So question two then, Lynn, is, uh, I guess, that is basically what was being referenced? The Fed thinks that they can break inflation by, well, in those words, crushing demand. So can you break inflation that way? Will that work?
1: Uh, not in the long term I don't think so I mean obviously it can work in the short term I mean if you cause a severe enough recession uh, you can reduce uh, energy and commodity demand uh, and that can that can suppress prices um, and so we seen basically a dry up of fiscal stimulus and a very tightening of monetary policy the problem in the longer term is that you know this really is not going to be addressed until more commodity and energy supply comes online and that takes years. Um, And then number two, there's a lot of negative feedback loops. And so, for example, when the dollar is strengthening this much, generally you see that the foreign sector is not buying many treasuries. Um, And you also generally see um, that when asset prices in the U.S. stop going up, tax revenue stops going up. Basically, we're so financialized. We have 200 percent stock market capitalization and GDP like we recently had. Um, basically, the tail wags the dog. So, if, if financial markets roll over, tax receipts also mm-hmm. roll over. And so, as we go into let, let's let's say next year, twenty twenty three, we could easily find ourselves in a situation where tax revenues are going down, the dollar is strong, foreign sectors not buying treasuries. The question becomes, who buys treasuries? Right. Uh, and so. Back in March 2020, they had a similar situation where you had a spike in the dollar. The foreign sector sold uh, hundreds of billions of dollars worth of treasuries to get dollars. um, And that caused the treasury market to break. It went illiquid. Um, And the Fed had to come in and and buy a lot of treasuries. And so I I see a similar type of environment building, uh, maybe not as fast acting as that particularly notable event. Um, But I think we're building towards a similar thing uh, maybe later this year, maybe 2023. We have to kind of monitor it as it goes along, but we're seeing rising problems in the treasury market, not just the yields, but under the surface, looking at uh liquidity, uh looking at volatility in the treasury market. It, it's getting pretty wobbly because, you know, basically the the supply-demand mismatch is, is getting pretty messy. And I think that that could eventually be one of the factors that contributes to them having to pause rate hikes, even though inflation is still potentially hot at that time or you know, even if it cools off temporarily, it's, it's it's hot and ready to bounce back as soon as they take their foot off the brake.
0: All right. That's pretty funny. Everybody listening, I did not tell Lynn the questions ahead of time because I knew that having known the questions, I knew that they'd be right in her wheelhouse. Well, Lynn goes right into question three, which I think is pretty funny. Um, It, it was simply when the question is assuming the Fed will pivot, we'll get Powell pivot too. when they pivot what will have driven the change uh, just now? You mentioned, is it bond market liquidity? Is it they finally get inflation back down under 2%? Is it a the recession that looks like it may have already begun? Could it be a stock market crash? I maybe it's all of those things. But what do you think is the most important driver for the Fed's decision?
1: So I think there are three major things that could cause it and it could be a combination of them but basically so the short answer is no i don't think it'll be the stock market itself basically the stock market itself does not force the fed to pivot i mean that usually the things that force the fed to pivot are occurring alongside stock market crashes so it yeah. kind of can look like the stock market's doing it but it's actually stuff underneath the surface and so number one would be say credit markets breaking so when the Fed when the fed had to start pivoting uh, rate hikes in late 2018 is because the junk bond market completely froze. Um, so even though we had a 20% correction in the S&P 500, the bigger problem under the surface is that uh, the weaker end of the corporate bond market just completely froze for like six weeks. Not a single junk bond was issued. Uh, and that that's a more alarming signal to the Fed than just stock markets going down. Um, number two would be something at the core of the system breaking. And an example in late 2019 was the repo rate spike, you know, the, the overnight lending rate between financial institutions that broke so that that forced the fed to stop producing their balance sheet literally that day. Um, and they never went back until, you know, just recently. Um, and then two uh, it, like I said, March, 2020, the Treasury market broke. And so the fed had to basically have an emergency meetings and just throw literally a trillion dollars yeah. at that market in a three week period, which was unprecedented. Um, and so, Something in something close to the core of the system and financial markets breaking, like credit markets, treasury markets, something like that uh, would force the Fed to to uh, you know start basically uh, changing their course. The other potential option that could coincide with some of those or could be separate is, I think, if you get unemployment rates officially start going above four percent or so, if you get a, if you get a market deterioration in in the job market, uh, I think that could do it. Um, you'd have basically. Right now, we're already seeing kind of early recession signs, uh, but that would be kind of a full, a full throttle recession sign. So, I think, I think one of those options uh, is probably what causes them to eventually pivot.
0: Lynn, this kind of came up uh, with uh, Danielle DiMartino Booth a couple of months ago. Uh, the idea of bond market liquidity being so important, and she keeps on the Move Index. Is that something you follow too?
1: Yes, and and she <laughs> covers this really well. I, I, she's one of the analysts that I think is is totally on point uh, on this on this subject. Um, the move index is kind of like the vix for treasuries um and so you can you can measure volatility that's the best way to look at treasury market volatility and we're currently at like decade highs in the move index you had you had yeah. a spike in that index in, tw- in um you know march 2020 and we've had another uh grind higher even to higher levels than that so we're not quite as high as we were in the great financial crisis but we're the highest since then um, so that's number one you can also look at Ah, uh, Treasury bid ask spreads and auction performance. Basically, if you have, if you have kind of ugly tails in the auction, meaning that they you know they start at one price and by the end of the auction uh, they're at a notably different price in the bonds. That, that that's basically a, you know kind of a sloppy auction, and that that's a measure of illiquidity. So when you have volatility and uh, illiquidity, that's showing that the market's getting pretty wobbly. Now right now it's not broken. The way that it was in, in you know for a brief period of time in March 2020 um, but it is getting messy and that's you know like I said when the dollar is super strong you don't really have foreigners buying treasuries uh, we also currently don't have banks buying treasuries now the one thing in the treasury department's favor is that due to the just the timing of tax revenues and expenditures they don't have a lot of net issuance of treasuries in in either the, the prior quarter quarter two or the current quarter quarter three um, and so right now they're kind of g- able to get away with this. Um, because they're not trying to just flood the market with treasuries, um, but as we look towards the very end of the year, or like I said, as we look into next year, um, they're probably going to have to increase their treasury issuance quite a bit. And if these if these uh, situation is uh, the liquidity and the and the you know the lack of buyers is still present, um, that's when they have a problem. And that's when either the Fed has to potentially absorb some of that issuance itself, uh, which would be a reversal of their policies, or they can do things like change the SLR supplementary leverage ratios for commercial banks to basically allow the banks to buy more treasury. So they have, they'd have to do something to um, reliquify the market if, if those conditions uh, remain this way You know, a year from now.
0: Okay. All right. Well, we're halfway done, Lynn. That's Those are all of our Fed uh, questions. And now the final three questions have more to do with commodities. And I know that's a specialty of yours as well. Uh, question number four is, I mean, I think most everybody listening to us probably understands this. We've had a pretty tough 90 days or so in the precious metals, uh, gold and silver. Uh, what do you what do you think is next in the back half of the year and headed into
1: 2023? Uh, so I, I, I think a lot of this kind of hinges on the Fed, right? Because right now, when you have the dollar screaming higher, uh, especially against the Euro and the Yen, um, and you have sharply rising rates in the face of a slowing economy, Uh, We also have a a decrease in the rate of money supply growth, right? So we had, uh, you know, kind of historically high money supply growth over the the past two, three years. um, And we've slowed down very significantly recently uh, as they try to put on the brakes. And so that's putting a lot of pressure on the precious metals, um, uh, you know, silver more so than gold, um, stocks more so than gold, um, uh, but certainly gold miners, uh, in particular are getting kind of a hit here because they have the combination of high energy prices and gold, not really going up. Um, so I think that basically w- what you want to look towards is, uh, when the fed is kind of forced to pause, um, and you get some sort of relief in the dollar going up against a lot of other major currencies. Um, that's when I think you could see signs of, of, you know, potentially a reversal in some of the precious metals right now we do see, um, You know, if you look at the at the copper to gold ratio, that's that's rolling over pretty sharply. Um, And so I I do continue to be more bullish on gold than copper, although right now that's that's more so, you know, to the detriment of copper than the favor of gold.
0: Okay, now we've done this twice, Lynn. I'm starting to wonder if you can read my mind uh, through the Internet. I think this is pretty funny because I mean, seriously, question number five is what are Lynn's thoughts on copper? Um, oh, that's it, hilarious. It, it's been dramatic the drop over the last month. Um, so what do you think?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I think it's understandable that I could kind of see the questions coming because these are the major macro questions facing this industry, right? So gold, gold and copper, obviously huge drivers of things. Um, and then all of the fed policy. And the big question is, you know, what's happened with currency markets, what's happening with inflation, that sort of thing. So when we look at copper, Basically, if you look at the at the copper to gold ratio that I mentioned, you'll you'll see this kind of like, you know, three year cycle roughly. Right. It looks kind of like a sine wave uh, going up and down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you overlay that with macro indicators, let, let's say the the PMI, the purchasing managers index, which is one of the simplest uh, macro indicators to look at, you'll three you'll see basically a, a three year sine wave. And so the copper to gold ratio and the PMI is kind of the same chart, except that the you know the copper to gold ratio one looks a little bit more volatile. Um, and that's generally because in economic accelerating environments, so rising PMI environments, Uh, Generally, you get a lot of copper demand. It's a risk on environment. Uh, There's construction happening. um, And so copper generally does well. Um, In declining PMI environments, there's a reduction in construction and manufacturing and things like that. And so you start to see weaker demand for copper. And then potentially you get a bid for gold, or at least gold is holding up better. Uh, because it's a risk-off type of environment, so stocks are going down, and and copper's going down, and you know a lot of things are going down, and gold is, you know, maybe it's maybe it's going up, or maybe it's going down less, and so you know it's kind of holding up better than copper, and so right now we're in a declining PMI environment, uh, and as one would expect, we're seeing a sharp reduction in copper compared to gold, um, but this is where I think timeframes differ. So I'm I'm super bullish on copper with say a 10-year view. Um, but I'm, I'm, you know, bearish on copper relative to gold over, let's say, the next six months. Um, and you know, back in 2020, I was, I, I wrote about copper producers. I was very bullish on copper. I expected to hold them for years, and then it all went up very, very rapidly, more rapidly than I would have guessed. And so I, I had to reduce, or in, some, in some cases, eliminate my positions. Um, and I'd be happy to buy them back uh, once we start seeing a bottom of this particular cycle, rising PMIs. Uh, some sort of momentum shift in the copper to gold ratio uh that's when i'd be i'd be quite bullish on on copper going forward because i think you know when you look out long term there's not really enough copper to uh you know meet all of the projects that that people want to do especially as it relates to electrification but also just to things like rising emerging markets india for example has huge right. copper demand in the decade ahead
0: these lower prices is the uh, it's often the, the the fix for lower prices. I think Rick Rule always says that, right? Exactly. So. Yes. All right. Well, Lynn, I got one question to go. So now, uh, since I've told you about commodities and you've been predicting all the other questions, what do you think this one's about?
1: That's tough. Um...
0: I know. I thought for sure you would know right off the top of your head. It's a very very popular subject these days. Is
1: it is it crypto?
0: No, we're going to go with crude oil. Oh yes, to crude oil. And and, and, it's, and it's so important, obviously, because energy costs drive inflation. You mentioned how it is impacting the gold miners and the copper miners too, you know, for that matter. Here's the thing. I guess the crux of the question. Um, over the last week, I've seen this too. There are some investment banks. I can't remember which one said they thought crude could go to three hundred eighty dollars or something like that. And then hot on the heels, there was another investment bank, some you know sell-side outfit that said it was going to 60. So that's pretty wide range. Um,
1: what do you think? So I think it's normal that there's volatility and a lot of uncertainty here because you have huge variables in either direction. So on, on one hand, as the US and Europe probably go into recession, um, that should suppress demand. Um, and... We also generally see right now, I mean, the US is selling part of a strategic petroleum reserve to try to suppress prices. We see China uh, engaging in pretty severe lockdowns that reduces the country's uh, oil demand, right? So less jet fuel, less less gasoline, just less, less demand in general. Um, so there are some downward pressures uh, on oil. Um, but in general, I'm a lot more bullish on oil than I am copper here. Uh, basically, I think that you know, to whatever lows we reach from demand destruction, will probably not be as low as some of the bears think. And I think a, as we look out forward, that the main bullish drivers are that there's not a lot of new supply uh, ready to come online quickly, right? So you have little things like shale and OPEC that can they can tweak things to some extent, but we need we need much bigger projects to come online, and we also need uh, some of the surrounding infrastructure, right? So LNG exports or or refining capacity or pipeline capacity. It's not just the production, and so I'm I'm pretty bullish on oil, but I think that it's one of those things where if you use leverage or if you're trading it too closely, it's very easy to get caught off guard. Because I think that with such strong macro factors pointing in either direction, uh, I would not be surprised with like twenty dollar swings uh, in, in the price in a given week or month. Um, And one thing I would differentiate is between OpEx commodities and CapEx commodities. So, uh, you know, an example of a CapEx commodity is like copper. That's something that we can use a lot less of for periods of time uh, due to a recession or something like that. Uh, You know, for example, we can defer building projects and things like that. And so you can get these bigger swings in demand. Whereas energy, I mean, outside of forced lockdowns like 2020, you don't see a, a huge range of of Changing demand. It's an op. It's you know. It, it's basically used in operations. Uh, so it's it's mostly non-discretionary. How much energy we use. Um, and so I'm I'm a lot less uh, bearish about oil and gas and things like that than I am with copper in this in this kind of you know cyclical downturn that we're in. But when we look out very long term, uh, I I'm very bullish on copper. And I'm also very bullish on oil gas uh, those that produce them and uh, those that transport them via pipelines and things like that
0: Lynn it's been great to have you back on and I think everybody listening uh, certainly found this to be valuable I mentioned following you on Twitter just to find out like I said every, multiple times a day what your current thoughts are but tell them tell everybody else as we go where they can find you on the internet
1: I appreciate that I'm at lynnaldon.com. that's my hub uh, that's where I you know public articles and, and research. And I'm also, like you said, on Twitter at Lynn Alden Contact.
0: And it's A-L-D-E-N, just one word, L-Y-N-A-L-D-E-N, correct? Yes. Awesome. Lynn, thank you so much for your time. Uh, and, and again, everybody, as you, as before you go, be sure to check out SproutMoney.com. Keep them on your list every time you're in the market for precious metals. But even again, thank us with a like or a subscribe. Help us cast a wider net of distribution for this information. Uh, Again, we're speaking with Lynn Alden here for Ask the Expert in July. Lynn, thank you so much for your time. It's been great. Yep, Thank you. From all of us here at Sprott Money News, and brottmoney.com. Thank you for listening. Talk to you again in August.